Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, um, thank you for the reminder this morning, a reminder of something that um, the devil often uh, tries to make us forget as we resist evil and as we wrestle to do the right thing and to serve you. Remind us again, Father, that we are redeemed and that we are made new in Christ Jesus and in him have the power to claim the victory already won. Father, I also want to pause today and just praise you and bless you for the cooler weather and the rain. Thank you, Father. Father, I just um, ask you to please be with all those people and all those families who in the course of all of the fires have lost so much. Father, would you provide for them all they need? Come close to them in the way that only you can. And Father, help them discover or rediscover through all of this that you are ultimately all that they need. Father, we lift them up before you and ask for your healing power in their lives. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Good morning. Guess what? That's good. You're supposed to say what? Guess what? Today is, or this time of year is a special day. My parents are visiting this weekend, and there they are, my mom and dad. And um, 10 days ago, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Praise God, huh? Yeah. And, uh, you know, for that, I have coffee tokens for you. You could get, you know, Ryan didn't give you a coffee token, so you get a free beverage in the, you know, in the, after the service. So, um, oh, and uh, guess what else? Now you're supposed to say, what else? Guess what else? Today is the day that 23 years ago, Jill told me I do. So it's my anniversary today, 23 years. And um, yeah, and um, it's kind of a special uh, 23 thing, well, 20th and 25th. 23 is kind of special. Jill just whispered in my ear this morning, uh, beginning about uh, 4.30 Eastern time, about 2.30 Mountain time, right at about that time, after that time, I will begin being married longer than I was single. Both of us will. Yes? So, yeah. I, and for that, honey, you get a coffee token. <laughs> Into the coffee bar. You get a beverage. Okay, great. <laughs> so, in, um, in honor of my anniversary, I decided to take the day off. Would you stand, please, for the closing benediction? No, Okay. Maybe that's how I'd get out of talking about Harry Potter. I don't know. If, uh, if you're visiting this morning, then um, um, I'd like to let you know that uh, we have been talking about God in the movies, looking for God in the movies. And the reason why I've, I've done this series now, I think this is the third or fourth year in a row, the reason why I like to look for God in the movies is because people in the world like to talk about movies. And you can also find in the movies lots of God's truth. And so if you put those two together, 
people love to talk about movies, and you can find lots of God's truth in the movies, it seems to me that's an incredible evangelistic opportunity to bring God into the conversation of all the movie talk that's going on. When we learn to recognize and see biblical and godly themes in the movies, we can bring God into that conversation. So that's why we're doing it, and that's what we're doing this morning. And the movie this morning, as you already know, or I should say movies, is none other than the infamous Harry Potter. Ooh. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, I... I heard a rumor, I heard a rumor that many of you at least, you came this morning with a lightning bolt on your forehead, is this true? Okay, we'll pray for them uh, later in the service. Is it, uh, bless you, is it, um, is it, um, is it possible even that, that even Harry Potter um, is something Christians might use to talk about God and the kingdom of God? And, and if so... Should we talk about Harry Potter favorably in light of God's word? And, um, you know, perhaps more than any recent movie or movie in recent history, I, uh, I ask those questions because, as many of you know, I'm sure there is no small controversy in the church surrounding Harry Potter. Uh, many believers, and I have no doubt uh, many of you here, um, to say the least, are wary of Harry. And um, so I ask those questions somewhat, uh, you know, I ask them seriously. But before I say uh, more about that, and I will, I have um, once again, uh, I asked John Burns and Amanda Cook uh, to summarize Harry Potter, and I asked them to do the impossible. I asked them to summarize all seven books and all eight movies. Yes, and uh, so for the next 35 minutes, no. and they should have laughed at me, you know, silly preacher man, um, but they didn't laugh. Instead of laughing at the idea, they did it. Can you believe it? There's reference to at least uh, uh, all eight movies, I think, in the clip you're about to watch, but that comes with uh, um, something important for all of you. As you're watching their summary, don't Blink. Okay, I, I, I need you to focus, my fellow muggles. Let's, what? you got to focus into this thing. Okay, are you ready to pay attention? Someone say, yes, we are. All right, then once again, here is Burns and Cook, this time with everything we need to know about Harry Potter. Let's watch. Here's everything you need to know about Harry Potter in six minutes, 13 seconds. Get ready, we've got a lot to cover. Harry Potter is an 11-year-old orphan living with his adoring aunt, uncle, and cousin. I'm warning you now, boy. Any funny business, any at all, and you won't have any meals for a week. But for the unusual location of his room in a closet beneath the stairs and a unique scar on his forehead in the shape of a lightning bolt, Harry thinks he is a normal child. But when he receives an invitation to attend Hogwarts School for Witchcraft and Wizardry from a gruff but lovable giant named Hagrid, Harry learns that he is not only a wizard, but a famous one at that. No, you've made a mistake. I mean, I can't be a, a, a wizard. I mean, I'm just Harry. 
Harry learns that his dear and departed parents were killed in a conflict with the Dark Lord Voldemort, nemesis of the wizarding world best known for his attempts at totalitarian rule and a sort of ethnic cleansing aimed at the world's non-magical humans. The young baby Harry was witness to his parents' murder and was saved only when the spell meant to kill him rebounded, destroying Voldemort instead. Now a student of Hogwarts, Harry meets fellow new students Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley. There he begins to learn mastery over magic. Harry, Hermione, and Ron become suspicious of one of the school's professors, Severus Snape, believing that he is attempting to steal a stone that is key to making one immortal. In the end, the friends discovered that it was not Snape, but another professor who was attempting the theft. The deceptive professor was literally two-faced, and his second face was that of the ghastly Voldemort. Despite his destruction 11 years prior, a part of Voldemort survived and had been slowly gaining strength and followers. Harry passes out in the presence of this evil character, and when he wakes, he learns that he and Voldemort are connected somehow. Over the next few years, several adventures occur which include a Chamber of Secrets, a Prisoner of Azkaban, a Goblet of Fire, an Order of a Phoenix, and a Half-Blood Prince. Several encounters with Voldemort occur, as do several close calls. Some characters don't survive. It's very suspenseful. Voldemort continues to gain strength and allies, though his abilities in restoring himself to his former glory seem lacking in both the nose job and hair plugs departments. Somewhere in all of this, Harry learns that in order to secure his hold on immortality, Voldemort has hidden seven parts of his soul in seven objects, called Horcruxes. One splits one's soul and hides part of it in an object. By doing so, you are protected should you be attacked and your body destroyed. Protected? That part of your soul that is hidden lives on. In other words, you cannot die. It will be impossible to destroy Voldemort until all the Horcruxes are destroyed. Voldemort is determined to do away with Harry once and for all, but fails at each attempt. Harry endeavors to defeat the Dark Lord, and with his friends Hermione and Ron, begins searching out and destroying each Horcrux. It is no simple task, and the friends have only enigmatic clues to locate them, left via last will and testament by the beloved Hogwarts headmaster Dumbledore, who died at the hands of the aforementioned Severus Snape. It is all but apparent by this point that Snape is a devotee of Voldemort, and Harry has only contempt for his former professor. But when Voldemort mortally wounds Snape as a sacrifice to increase his power, Snape leaves Harry one final vision of his own dedication to Harry, as well as of Harry's role in Voldemort's demise. A part of Voldemort lives inside him. So when the time comes, the boy must die. Yes, yes, he must die. So Harry realizes that he himself is a Horcrux and he must die if Voldemort is to be defeated. Meanwhile, Voldemort and his evil army descend upon Hogwarts, which has become the base camp for those opposing his rule. Voldemort temporarily halts his attacks on the castle, insisting that Harry meet him in the woods. Harry does, knowing Voldemort will kill him, and Voldemort casts a killing spell. Harry falls and has an otherworldly conversation with Dumbledore, who explains that Voldemort has not killed Harry, but instead has destroyed the bit of his own soul inside of Harry. Believing Harry to be dead, Voldemort takes his body to Hogwarts to show the opposition their defeat. There, a hero who is unlikely mostly because of his name, Neville Longbottom, gives a rousing speech. They didn't die in vain. 
you will. Because you're wrong. Harry's heart did beat for us. For all of us. It's not over. Harry reveals that he is not dead. Battling between the sides begins again, and Voldemort and Harry square off. There is one Horcrux remaining, and Ron and Hermione know it to be Voldemort's enormous pet snake, Nagini. As Harry battles Voldemort, his friends kill the snake. With the final Horcrux destroyed, Voldemort's own spell backfires, and he disintegrates like the Wicked Witch of the East, but with way better graphics. Victory over evil has come at a high cost, and the losses are devastating. Harry is now the owner of Voldemort's wand, which is believed to be the most powerful wand ever made. But uninterested in holding disproportionate power, Harry snaps the wand in two and throws it away. In the epilogue, the friends meet again with the purpose of sending their own young children away to their first year at Hogwarts. Balance has been restored, non-magical humans live in blissful ignorance of the wizarding world, and Harry Potter is still wearing those never-in-vogue brown glasses. They did it! You know, and I, for those of you who haven't seen all the movies, just saved you like 17 hours of your life right there. <laughs> Man, what to, um, what to say about Harry Potter? Um, anyone have a guess as to how much money Harry Potter made at the box office? All eight movies, uh, now, not including DVDs or merchandise and the like, but just ticket sales for all eight movies total. You know, any guesses how much? Seven billion dollars. Seven billion dollars just at the box office. And all of that because an out-of-work school teacher and single mom living on government welfare, or as the Brits say, living on the dole, all because a woman named Joanne started scribbling a story in an Edinburgh cafe while her young daughter dozed in a stroller. And here we are, $7 billion later. Amazing. And depending on how you spin those numbers, that makes the Harry Potter movie franchise either the number one or the number two movie franchise in history, depending how you work those statistics. Any guesses, if you're at 8 o'clock, uh, don't guess. They, they couldn't come up with it. Any guesses here this morning as to which other movie franchise is the only one in history right up there with Harry Potter? Any guesses? Yeah, everybody says Star Wars. No. Oh, man, I can't hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Still haven't heard it. My dad just got it. I, maybe some of you uh, else you did too. You old time. Think of a spy movie franchise. No. <laughs> my name is my name is Bond. James Bond is the only one that comes close. Yeah, you needed to be an old timer or a little older timer, um, at least like me, to come up with James Bond. So. I mean, so Harry Potter, uh, no question, is an immensely popular movie series. Most popular, um, notwithstanding the close money tie to James Bond, uh, James Bond uh, never had the following uh, that we've seen uh, 
and the cultural phenomenon over the last few years that Harry Potter has. And um, as I've said, um, Harry Potter is not only immensely popular, uh, it's also a story over which many believers find themselves deeply suspicious, uh, at least. They are wary of Harry. And the reason for their concern um, is all of that magic in Harry Potter's stories, witches and wizards and the like. And the concern is that um, the fun and uh, charming way that magic is presented in Harry Potter, at best it encourages a smiling tolerance of modern-day witchcraft or the occult, for example. Um, our charismatic brothers and sisters in the church, um, they've written the most that I could find uh, um, severely condemning uh, the Harry Potter movies because um, uh, it takes too lightly um, the very, very serious and very dangerous uh, in their uh, minds um, the occult and evil spirits and that whole realm. Um, at worst, the concern is that this uh, romantic look at magic may even encourage, um, especially in impressionable children, the practice of witchcraft itself. And all of which, uh, for many believers, that stands squarely on what they correctly point out. Scripture clearly condemns sorcery. And uh, so we would do well, they say, to stay far away from Harry Potter and all of that magic. Now, what to say in response to that and in light of that concern, a concern that I'll share with you I had um, when Harry Potter first came out. Um, here's something that was helpful for me. Um, maybe it's something that at least starts a dialogue uh, on this. But um, when Harry Potter first came out, I did some research and I looked at uh, some of what the articles was saying, and I came across one that... Um, urged uh, the readers to take a closer look uh, at the magic that the Bible is condemning. And that involves recognizing an important distinction between two kinds of magic. So I don't want to get bogged down here, but it was helpful for me, so I want to just share this with you, something you can follow up with me or with others um, um, out there if you like. So uh, briefly at least, welcome to Hogwarts this morning and, and today's brief lecture on magic. There is, I'm told, two main types of magic in historical literature. There's something called invocational magic and then there is incantational magic. Invocational magic means to invoke or to call in. And magic of this sort throughout history is the magic that's usually referred to as black magic or sorcery. And to make a longer study short, um, in my opinion and many with me who've written on this, it is this type of magic that Scripture warns about. Scripture warns us that calling in uh, demonic principalities and powers for personal power and advantage is dangerously stupid 
and it always ends in disaster. And so, of course, the God who loves us deeply says, danger, stay away, don't dabble with that, like any good parent would say to their children. We're not, the Bible says, to mess around with the realm of evil spirits just willy-nilly, like it's some sort of game. But here's an important point, at least it helped me in as I wrestled with Harry Potter and his stories, there is no invocational sorcery in the Harry Potter books. Even the most evil wizards do their magic with spells. That's the other type of magic I'll talk about in a second. Not one character in any of the Potter books ever calls in, invokes evil spirits. Not once. Rather, The magic by spells and wands in Harry Potter, it's known as incantational magic. And incantational means literally to sing along with or to harmonize. Again, I don't have the time this morning uh, to do this lesson. uh, It's justice. But incantational magic is magic that sings along with and harmonizes with whatever rules and order that the Creator put into place. It's like the magic in the Chronicles of Narnia, for example. Harry Potter's magic is incantational and not invocational magic prohibited in in, uh, Scripture. No one's calling in evil spirits. Instead, they're following order and rules. Let me try and give you um, uh, one illustration, Um, a real-world example of incantational magic, not one from a made-up creator um, and world like Harry Potter or Narnia, but a real-world parallel, at least, to incantational magic. Here's a real-world parallel. It's my smartphone. It's not not an Apple phone. I'm, I'm slowly turning over to Apple computers, but... I don't think I'll ever get an Apple phone. It's my one way of keeping Apple from totally controlling my life. But it's a smartphone. And I don't know how far back you'd have to go, certainly not any farther than the age of enlightenment when uh, people began thinking scientifically and figuring out how things work. But I don't know how far back you'd have to go where something like this wouldn't have been considered magic. Yes? I mean, you know, you could press buttons and press a button and someone across the room, someone on the other side of the globe gets a message. It's magic. Following the rules of science. Siri, Apple's Siri. You say, hey, Siri, what's the weather? And she tells you. That's magic. You press the right buttons, you do it the right way according to the rules of science and technology, and something happens. You say in Harry Potter's world, oh, what's the spell? Expelliarmus. And what happens, some of you Harry Potter fans? Do you know? Yes. I don't know to be concerned that they know that or, or not. You say Expelliarmus, and according to the rules of Harry Potter's magic science, your opponent ends up dropping his wand or dropping his weapon. 
So long story short, and again, I don't want to get bogged down here, but the type of magic um, in Harry Potter is similar to the type of magic of science today. The magic in Harry Potter is following along the rules of its magic science in an ordered and orchestrated way by whoever created and put that together. And the same, too, you'll find in Narnia books, those safe magic stories. And uh, for me, this distinction helped me get over um, uh, being uh, very wary about Harry, anyway. It helped me place uh, Joanne Rowling's a confessed Presbyterian and her Harry Potter books right alongside Lewis and his Narnia books as safe magic stories that um, um, sing along uh, incantationally even with the true story uh, in the Gospels. But um, however you feel about that, uh, there is no question, it seems to me, that so many strong and so many wonderful biblical themes abound in Harry Potter. I mean, good heavens, the entire premise of Harry Potter sings along with the great story of Christ himself. In Harry, we have a very noble, very humble servant's heart. We have a messianic figure, uh, even, who gives his own life uh, to save his friends and to save the universe. We've got a hero who relentlessly favors good and resists evil. And beyond that, that grand picture comparison between Harry Potter and the gospel, there are many, many close parallels to the Christian life found in the Harry Potter stories. We could easily uh, do a series on Harry Potter. There are so many strong comparisons. But for this morning, um, I picked one, one theme to emphasize in particular, one because of time constraints, but also the one I picked, I think, is foundational. Foundational to rolling stories uh, and foundational to Christian living. And I think foundational, at least a piece of the foundation of why so many people are drawn to these movies. More people than any other movie franchise in history. This one thing, as, as, as much as any other, uh, in my opinion, is Rowling's uh, genius, together with her ability to write in a captivating way. And we can see this one thing. I'm going to show it to you uh, rather than tell you about it first. Uh, in the next two scenes that I want to show you from uh, two movies in the series. Let me set up each clip. This first clip, Harry Potter and his incoming freshman class first arrive at Hogwarts, their school of magic. And we quickly learn that entering freshmen are ceremonial, ceremonially placed into their respective houses. Think uh, fraternities or sororities, and you get the idea. And they're placed into their respective houses by something called a sorting hat. Sorting hat. Uh, it's a magical hat that sits on their heads and can peer inside of them and figure out which house is the best fit for each entering freshman. And before I show you the scene where Harry is placed into his house by the sorting hat, you need to know or, or be reminded that the house called Gryffindor are the good guys, and the house of Slytherin, 
Yeah, can you guess from the name? Are they the good guys or the bad guys? Yeah, Slytherin are the bad guys. They like snakes, so duh, they're the bad guys. And so where will the sorting hat put Harry Potter? Now, most of you know or can guess, but as you see uh, this clip even again, or even as you watch it for the first time, notice how it's no easy choice that the sorting hat makes on where Harry Potter belongs. With the good guys of Gryffindor or the bad guys of Slytherin? Let's watch. Harry Potter? Difficult, very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. There's talent, oh yes, and a thirst to prove yourself. But where to put you? Not Slytherin, not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great, you know. It's all here, in your head. And Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness. There's no doubt about that. No? Please. Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor! He got put into Gryffindor. The good guys, hooray! But later on in the story, and actually throughout all eight movies, we come to see that Harry is haunted throughout his life by the fact that in assessing him and where he fit, good guys or bad guys, Harry's haunted by the fact that the sorting hat was really leaning toward putting him in Slytherin. And that fact deeply troubles Harry. And boy, now we're getting very close to that one foundational theme I want to make this morning, that point of comparison between Harry and the Christian life. Now, in this next clip, unless you're a Harry Potter fan... You won't catch everything going on. Don't worry, that's okay. I'll draw what I want from it afterward. But as you watch, pay special attention to why it was that Harry was put with Gryffindor, the good guys, and not with Slytherin, the bad guys. Why did the sorting hat finally announce Gryffindor? Let's watch. Harry, first, I want to thank you, Harry. You must have shown me real loyalty down in the chamber. Nothing but that could have called Forks to you. And, um, second, I sense 
that something is troubling you. Am I right, Harry? It's just... You see, sir, I, I couldn't help but notice certain things, certain... certain similarities between... Tom Riddle and me. I see. Well, you can speak parcel tongue, Harry. Why? Because Lord Voldemort can speak parcel tongue. If I'm not mistaken, Harry, he transferred some of his powers to you the night he gave you that scar. Voldemort transferred some of his powers to me. Not intentionally, but yes. So the sorting hat was right. I should be in Slytherin. It's true, Harry. You possess many of the qualities that Voldemort himself prizes. Determination, resourcefulness, and if I may say so, a certain disregard for the rules. Why then did the sorting hat place you in Gryffindor? Because I asked it to. Exactly, Harry, exactly. Which makes you different from Voldemort. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. See, to me, that's one piece of the foundational genius of the Harry Potter story. And it's a strong talking point about uh, Christian, the Christian life with people. It isn't Harry Potter's talent or magical powers that determine whether he is good or bad. His talent doesn't determine who he is. It's what he does with his talent that makes all the difference. It's up to him to choose, to choose between what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. And that constant struggle that Harry has between his good and evil inclinations is what I think also appeals to and draws people to the Harry Potter stories. Because people are made in the image of God. All people are. And they live in a fallen, sinful world. And they can relate to Harry Potter's struggle. One author makes the following observation. The Harry Potter books, he says, both satisfy and support our God-implanted longing to resist evil and serve the good. People resonate with that, whether or not they yet know God, because they're all made in the image of God. All of us are. And it's his image in people that urges them to resist evil and serve the good. Now, whether they listen or not to that urging is up to them. It is the crux of the matter in the Harry Potter saga. Or I should say, or could say, I could use Rowling's clever word, it's the horcrux of the matter. There's no way that it's a coincidence that Rowling chose to call that bit of the evil Lord Voldemort stuck in Harry, his slight inclination toward evil that he is wary of and resists, 
it is no coincidence that Rowling calls that a horcrux because it is indeed the crux of the matter for Harry Potter. What will Harry do? Will Harry follow that evil inclination in him? Or will he resist it to serve the good even when he discovers it's going to cost him his life? And that's precisely the biblical question for believers, isn't it? My friends, will we follow what the Apostle Paul calls our fleshly desires, that evil, self-serving inclination that resides yet in us? Or will we, like the Apostle Paul and like Harry Potter, resist it with all the talent and power that God gives us to serve the good, to serve God, to serve others? Will we love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might, and will we love others as ourselves, even when it costs us our lives? My goodness, there's Shema again. Go figure. And P.S., you know, as far as an exemplary model, wherever you fall on the magic line and the concern you have over it in, in, in the Harry Potter movies, as far as an exemplary model for children and for adults alike, a model of how to resist evil and strive relentlessly to serve the good in a self-sacrificial way, and how to use our gifts and talents and power for good in others rather than for ourselves. Hasn't J.K. Rowling given us one fine example in that boy called Harry Potter? And can we reasonably ask anything more of our entertainments than the story of Harry Potter? Second P.S., and then I'll let you go. I, um, I came across an author who dives into and examines uh, all of the names that uh, Rowling uses in her epic story. Um, I'm always fascinated with that. Uh, uh, the Bible is very careful about uh, the names, um, and we've talked about that before too, how they can have strong resonance and application and give us hints and clues as to what the person is all about. And it's clear, Rowling stands in a long line of British authors in particular who spend a lot of time figuring out what the names should be. They just don't pull them out of a hat, not out of a sorting hat or otherwise. See what you think. I've just got a couple examples, and I'll let you go. There is a sport that they like to play in Hogwarts that, picks, uh, um, that uh, pits um, houses against one another. It's called Quidditch. Did I say it right? Okay. Uh, Quidditch. And the Gryffindors, the good guys have a... Uh, is it Quidditch or Kidditch? Quidditch. The Gryffindors are the good guys have a Quidditch team. And, of course, their bad guy nemesis, the House of Slytherin, um, who they haven't beaten in years, has a Quidditch team. Now, check it out. The Gryffindors, um, Rowling gives the three chasers on the good guy team. Chasers is like a Ford or a guard in basketball. It's a position in Quidditch. And the, the names that Rowling's gives for what she calls chasers, if you will, and they're chasing victory finally over the bad guys, over evil, the names she gives them are 
Alicia Spinnett, Katie Bell, and Angelina Johnson. You say, so? Does anything stand out to you about those three names? Well, do you think it's a coincidence that all three names have three church pieces in them? A spinet is an organ. A bell is a bell. That's a hard one to see. And an angelina, uh, not just a reference to angel, but an angelina, in fact, is the technical term for those decorative wood or stone church angels that sit on ancient churches. And so the church is chasing after evil in Quidditch. And then in case we missed it, Look at what in a later story the name Rollings gives a boy who replaces one of the Weasley twins as a beater on the team. A beater who's to beat or defeat the evil bad guys. Rollings names him Kirke. And you say, so what? Anyone here named Kirk? Anyone speak German? I heard it. You know what? Kirka? Kirka is the German word for church. The one assigned to defeat evil in Quidditch is called church. And there is Dumbledore, a white bee or resplendent soul. Voldemort means flight of death, and he certainly acts as someone who wants to bring death. And it can also mean flight from death. And he's trying to... Um, seek immortality. Malfoy, the last name of um, an arch enemy family of Harry. Malfoy means faith in evil or bad faith. And then there's the name Harry Potter. Let's take the last name first. The Bible books that talk about Potters, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zechariah, Lamentations, Romans, and Revelation are the ones I found. And you go and you look at potter in context there, and we see quickly that a potter is closely associated with God in the Bible. God is the biblical potter who creates and shapes. In addition, you can tell in reading the Harry Potter books that Rowling studied and is well-versed in Latin. Well, potter sounds the same as the Latin word potter, which means father. Does the name potter point to a belonging to God the Father. Interesting, too, that uh, Harry's parents' names are James and Lily, a name and a word closely and favorably associated with Christianity. And how about the name Harry? One author suggests uh, the key to understanding why Rowling might have used Harry is its cockney pronunciation, right? Hello, Harry, instead of Harry. And the silent H, airy, sounds at least like the word air, H-E-I-R. So, airy Potter, this extremely common-sounding name, a name anyone might have. It's easily the most normal, boring name in the entire series. It stands out because it's so relatively plain. You might even know a Harry Potter, it's so common. Take Harry Potter from the TV series MASH, for example. I'm dating myself. Nobody knows me. So Harry Potter, Harry Potter, heir to God the Father. 
And not as heir as Jesus is, not similar to Aslan in Narnia, but an heir to God the Father just as you or I or anyone who resists evil and serves God is an heir. The Bible tells us that followers of Jesus are indeed heirs of God. Well, we're indeed heirs of God if we love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might, and love our neighbors as ourselves in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, I don't know where you fall on Harry Potter. I suspect um, um, uh, many of you will want to talk to me about it, and you're still uncomfortable with it. Um, if you want to email me, my uh, email address is dbeatty at uh, westbowls.com. <laughs> I haven't done that to you, Dave, for a while. So. You continue to make uh, what God puts on your heart as wise choices for what you read and what your kids read. And certainly with the Harry Potter movies, there's great reason to uh, decide when your children are age-appropriate, uh, maybe because the magic thing still makes you nervous, or there are some violent and traumatic stuff that happens too. But at the very least, wherever you fall on that, I don't think you can ignore the potential and possibility of bringing God into the conversation of the greatest movie franchise in the history of movies that's going on in our culture. And the potential there, at least, that people can see points of contact with a story that they're amazed with, with a story that has everything and more that the Harry Potter story has. And that's my hope uh, in talking about Harry Potter with you this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the power of uh, story. And Father, um, help us to be ever vigilant, whether in movies or whatever opportunity comes along as we're in the world and not of it. Help us to find every opportunity there is to be able to show people in a way they can understand your truth and your love and who you are. Father, if... Um, the Harry Potter movie franchise gives us that opportunity. Help us to seize it and use it well. Most of all, Father, by who we are and how we love, may the world indeed know that um, you are God and love them too. I, just, I ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please, uh, for the benediction this morning? It's a well-known couple of verses. Uh, last year I asked you to memorize them so you can say it along if uh, you still remember. You know these verses well, many of you, I'm sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 Enjoy the cooler weather. God bless you all.